This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Like the kōkako, the saddleback, or tieke, belongs to the New Zealand wattlebird family. A family to which the huia belonged and which has been established in this country since ancient times, much longer than most of our other birds. The saddleback takes its name from the bright reddish saddle on its back, which according to legend is the mark of Maui's hand. Sadly, this attractive bird has disappeared from the main islands and exists only on a few offshore islands, carefully chosen locations for resettlement away from predators, which appears to have saved the tieke from total extinction. or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Today we have Jolene Warrington from Presbyterian Support. We'll be talking about housing and homelessness in Dunedin. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz, then going to podcast, then going to community or chaos. Uh, Jolene, what motivated you to work for Presbyterian Support Family Work Team? And what does the family work uh, team do and, and who do you work with? For me, it's always been about people. Um, in my previous role um, in the community, I didn't really know m- uh, much about what PSO did, but I had, I had dealings with them um, taking clients to and from. Um, and I was always treated with respect and kindness, and I always thought that was somewhere that I wanted to... need to be close. Sorry. Um, it was... Always a team I wanted to be part of, so when the opportunity arose, sorry, so when the opportunity arose, I jumped at the chance. I've now been with Presbyterian Support for four years, um, and so part of my role, I'm the team leader for social workers. We also have um, financial mentors, group programs, um, youth grow, and financial mentors. We work with individuals and Fano, and we we have. Lots of collaboration with um, other organisations in Dunedin as well. All right. Now, what kinds of work do you do? Um, so I'm a registered social worker. Yeah. Um, so we can provide advocacy and support. Um, we can work with Fano where um, there's family harm. We also work. Uh, we have financial mentors that can deal with financial hardship. We have a food bank as well, so can provide food parcels, and we, we're a service that actually we can provide a wraparound service um, to the community. What's um, support mean? Um, walking alongside people, advocating for their rights, making sure that they're respected, they've got dignity. Um, um, some, sometimes we can help navigate, navigate systems, put referrals through, 
kind of the way we work is if there's a need in the community, we will try and meet that need. Are there enough people working in the community? Are there enough people working? Um, I don't mean just Presbyterian support. Um, Gosh, there could probably always be more. It would be good if we could work ourselves out of a job and then we didn't need to, but um, there is so much need in the community. Like there's real, there's gaps I think in regards to um, youth. There's not a lot out mm. there for youth. Julian and I used to talk about maybe the food bank should go on strike. Oh. <laughs> um, we were quite serious. She used to be your CEO. Yes. If it went so, on strike, I'd hate to think what would happen. Well, happen. I mean, the governments have to take notice. Yeah. But I mean, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have governments saying oh, we won't do anything for the next six years. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, and that's what I mean. If we could work ourselves out of a job, it would be great. But meanwhile, the people are waiting, aren't they? Sure. Yeah. Um, Does Dunedin have a problem with homelessness and housing deprivation? And could you talk about this in some detail? Absolutely. Um, New Zealand's in the middle of a housing crisis. There is absolutely not enough um, affordable, safe housing for everybody. Um, I know... Um, the whole country at the moment um, is in need, but Dunedin. Um, every day we are seeing um, homeless people working through, uh, walking through our doors. We're seeing people in unfit, inadequate homes. They're unsafe to live in. They're cold. They're damp. Sometimes they don't even have tenancy agree- agreements, and it's a no-win situation. People are forced to stay there because they don't want to complain or rock the boat because they're worried about being evicted and having nowhere to go. So it's a has it problem. gotten worse in the last few years? Yeah, I believe it has. Yep. Okay. Now, what kinds of well, is it? What is it like to raise a family in the situation where you're either homeless or you're in a rent situation where you know you won't be there long? It's inc- it's incredibly. Um, it has a major effect on people's well-being, and there's a lot of people walking through our doors. Even for them to make the first approach to come to our service and ask for help is huge. We have kids and families that are living in cars. They have, or they're in emergency accommodation and they're placed in motels. And a lot of people go, "Oh, they're in a motel," but actually, it's not. It's not a, a permanent accommodation. They don't have their belongings with them. It's not a home. Um, yeah, it has a huge effect psychologically. There's always a fear of where am I going to go next? Um, enrolling children in schools, um, you know, they may then be moved to another location, which is a long way away from their school. So it, it upsets and disrupts the whole, the whole whole What's it have? What's it like for kids if they have to move schools two or three times a year? Incredibly disruptive. Um, it can cause some social isolation. They struggle making friends. Um, yeah, and not having a home or somewhere to be able to bring you know bring your friends back to um, and enjoy that sort of stuff it has a massive impact, and we have seen a really a real big increase in our um, group program work that we're doing with children. I'm not saying it's due to homelessness, but I am saying that there is a lot of um, a lot of need, and our children are suffering a lot of trauma. Does it affect their schoolwork and the fact that you're studying? Oh, um, I don't have evidence to suggest that, but yes, I would say it does, absolutely. And family trauma, if you're a parent, a father or mother, you're going to feel that trauma, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. It's just the feeling of not being able to provide for your whānau. And it affects 
the way you act with your children and other people around you. Yep, absolutely. It can have a profound impact, and I don't actually think, unless you've been in that situation, you don't understand. We go home to a warm home with, you know, um, a a meal on the table, uh, we have beds to sleep in, and everyone takes it for granted. Um, And then there's families out there, they will actually sacrifice things for themselves to try and get the needs of their children met. That's one of the things that uh, worries me a bit. We do take it for granted. How can we? Why should we take it for granted that people will be homeless in a country like New Zealand? I, I it actually, um, it worries me that actually New Zealand used to be a place where everybody wanted to come and everybody wanted to live, and there is such a big divide between the rich and the poor now. Um, and I do think the government actually needs to be transformational and um, make some changes. There needs to be some more rent caps. Um, uh, yeah, it's really disappointing. Each and every day at the office, um, you know, when you, you just need to sit at reception for a day, and the amount of people coming through the door, they have genuine hard luck stories. It's well. What are the? What can you do in the me in the short term? In the short term. Um, for our organisation or for anybody in the community? Your organisation. So for our organisation, so we do our best to try and advocate with either work and income or with landlords to try and find some suitable accommodation, but there isn't any. So unfortunately, um, we work, we can provide some bedding um, and some blankets and some food to keep them warm and dry. We work, close, uh, we work really closely with um, David McKenzie from the Night Shelter um, and try and refer people there so they can get a hot shower, a feed, um, if they can't stay overnight. But we do our best to offer the support that we can do. Like there are some people that we know that have created shelters um, in the bush and quite often we will drop food parcels off to them just to make sure that they're doing okay. But that that's the hard thing. When I first started four years ago, you could support them to find accommodation and now we have to let them walk out the door um, and all we can do is provide them some food and some blankets. So the homelessness has gotten so much worse that there's no place to help them? No. um, There's been some boarding houses closing down. There's more and more landlords that are saying um, they won't take... um, they won't take um, that sort of clientele, even the motels, because um, some of the motels are used for emergency accommodation. They won't take that clientele either. When you say that kind of clientele? Well, I'm meaning our homeless people. For us, they're just like everyday people, but um, they they get judged quite a bit in the community because of the way they look um, and the way they dress and they're shunned and sometimes they're forced into making choices that they would never, ever have to make. Are men and women with mental and physical disabilities, do they? Does it make their chances of finding adequate shelter and to meet their needs much more difficult? Oh, it does. Um, We have a number of examples. Um, We work with quite a few people in the community that have um, mental illness um, and because it's undiagnosed or sometimes it's classed as being behavioural rather than a mental illness um, and they're not treated so they then escalate um, and end up either um, offending or getting caught up in... um, you know, some illegal activities and they get put in prison. We've had a number of people that have opted, um, deliberately broken the law so they could go to prison because they get um, fed 
and they get a roof over their head. And these are clients that should not be in prison. They should be treated and they should be looked after in the community. Yes, uh, I have a, a relative that wrote a thesis on moving from uh, in mental institutions into the community, then back into institutions only prisons. This happened in Great Britain as well as New Zealand. Yep. Do, do you think we should actually pr- not provide the Lake Alice, but places where people can stay and have help while they're there? Is that the ideal? Oh, look, absolutely. And we do, there is some supported accommodation available, but there's really strict rules. Um, and that some of the rules are they're not allowed to be drinking, they're not allowed to take drugs or substance abuse. Um, if there's any issues with violence, they're out on the ear, the ear. A number of the clients that we've been supporting, we've been supporting them to try and get into a supported accommodation so they can get that wraparound service. And usually the answer we get is oh, they've burned their bridges, they're too well known to them before, and and they so they, they won't accept them into that accommodation. Is there enough accommodation for them? No, absolutely not. So they... They have to choose who they're going to let in. Yep, absolutely. And it's no disrespect for them. I totally get, you know, they have to um, they have to work within their guidelines. But um, when it's a mental health and a health issue, people should be working more together and there should be more funding available to provide the wraparound support. We have people released from prison. Um, sometimes they have no, no ID, um, no support getting it, they get a payment but no accommodation they're released with no fixed abode and they turn up and of course it's incredibly difficult for them um, to get accommodation um, so they have to make some choices either couch surfing or you know or, or um, living on a street because because of their prior past so Do you, does Presbyterian support and do all the work, the groups that do this kind of work work together to some degree? Yes, we do. Um, I'm on, we collaborate quite closely and there's a number of um, housing hui's that we've attended alongside the Night Shelter, City Council, Kainga Ora, um, Salvation Army, Emerge. Um, We're all trying to um, work collectively together to make a difference. But sometimes there's too much hooey and not enough dewey. <laughs> okay, I'm going to play some music now. I ain't got no home, I'm just a roaming round. Just a wandering worker, I go from town to town And the police make it hard wherever I may go And I ain't got no home in this world Sisters are stranded on this road A hot and dusty road That a million feet have trod 
Rich man took my home and drove me from my door And I ain't got no home in this world anymore Was a farming on the shares and always I was poor my crops I lay into the banker's store My wife took down and died up on the cabin floor And I ain't got no home in this world plain to see this world is such a great and a funny place to be oh the gambling man is rich and the working man is poor and i ain't got no home in this world anymore That was Woody Guffrey. I ain't got no home in this world anymore. And in some ways, we're right back. He wrote that song in the 1930s in the Great Depression. We're not in a Great Depression, but as far as living conditions for many people, inequality in New Zealand and the United States and places like that has gotten right back to the 1930s. What do you consider adequate housing and shelter? Do we, do we have, well, what do I consider adequate? Yeah. Um, adequate shelter is um, a home that's safe, warm and dry and affordable with all the necessary amenities and it needs to be able to provide stable accommodation so people don't have that fear of moving on really quickly. And it's not, it's a basic right and it's a basic... Um, it shouldn't be a hard ask, but unfortunately it is. And are there social and psychological effects on the men and women who have, who have to move quite often because they can't afford to pay the rent? Absolutely. We see that um, on a daily basis with some of the clients coming through. Um, they, if they get... Um, physically unwell, they usually become untreated um, because of the conditions that they're living in, psychologically as well, their mood is pretty low, um, it's a no-win situation for them, they um, sometimes have to make some choices that they would never normally choose, um, and their mood gets lower and lower, they sometimes turn to um, substances to, you know, to make it all go away, so it has a huge effect, a huge effect. Some of the political parties say we're not hard enough on people that get in trouble that the solution isn't more houses and more jobs it's more more people in prison more people what do you think about that look i i i don't agree i don't think prison or punitive um is the right way to go i think it's about education and providing resources and um 
I don't actually think um, homeless people or people with um, mental health that create the crimes because of um, the system has failed them, that they belong in prison. I don't think that's okay. Well, there are a number of homeless people that don't actually have mental illness, at least in the beginning, but they've lost a job and they can't get work that actually pays to put a roof over their head. That's mm-hmm. Yep. Are there a number of people in that situation, either people that are working for very low wages yep. or um, haven't been able to get a job? Absolutely. Um, and COVID had a huge impact on some of those people as well. Um, they lost jobs due to COVID. They haven't been able to get back on their feet. They, their, their dignity and self-worth has um, has dropped because they can't provide for themselves or for anybody else. And they have to go begging and asking you know, the state for some support and some help. Um, and then it's the bare minimum that they get. It's really degrading. Quite often, you know, um, they, they're walking in, around in the same clothes that they haven't been able to shower for a couple of days. They get their belongings stolen. They don't have a place to call home. Um, massive impact on their mental health. Um, they're left untreated sometimes because they're transient or they're not in, um, enrolled with a GP. Um, and... In those situations, we do our best to walk alongside um, to try and get them support in the community, refer them to a GP, make sure their needs are met. Um, But it's incredibly difficult. Do you think that it's... When we talk about um, people with mental illness, the first problem is if they had a a general practitioner, that would be the first place they'd go, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. Um, sometimes like they're so low and they're lost and they, they're just stuck and they don't know where to reach out for help. Sometimes they do go to a GP, but sometimes they pop into Presbyterian support because uh-huh. they're just lost and they don't know where to go. What happens when the health system is underfunded for 30 years and there aren't enough doctors? And yeah. um, and then it normally um, what happens is that a whole lot of... Um, NGOs, non-government organisations, are left um, carrying the can and there's a whole lot of people out there that are left untreated, not looked after because they don't fit into this round hole and they don't fit into this round hole. Um, Quite often um, physical health and mental health clash different buckets of money and they don't come together and work together. It's not the people's fault, it's the system. There's a massive lack of funding and lack of resources and they're left out on their own and in those situations we have had clients that have ended up um, turning to a life of crime to get their needs met. Would you be willing to pay higher taxes? Absolutely. Yourself? Yep, absolutely. I'm all for that. Do you think that people are f- don't have enough trust and faith in the public when it comes to taxes that if people explained about taxation and the benefits of health care and education and how we need taxation, that um, people aren't as selfish and stupid as politicians think? Absolutely. I actually think the majority of people, um, the majority of people actually um, looking out for their neighbour and they would actually support um, higher taxation if it means the people that are in that lower tier get the support that they need. I think the government have hugely underestimated. What um, do we need to, to 
to have adequate housing for people in Dunedin. Is there adequate council housing? Um, not for currently, no. Um, but I don't think it all sits with the council either. I think it's a wider societal problem. Um, um, I've, I'm part of um, homelessness meetings and working with the council and I'm aware that there is definitely some plans in place to increase the housing and also to upgrade the current homes, um, current social housing that we have. Some of them, like we have the oldest housing stock um, in New Zealand. Um, so some of them are currently being upgraded. There is plans to build more houses, but there is also, I think, a lot of greed out there in the community and some of the rents just keep going up and up and up and it's just unaffordable. Would you favour rent controls like they have in Europe? Um, yeah, look, I need to know more about it, but I think there needs to be some sort of rent control or rent cap because um, it just seems to be whenever someone gets a break, um, the rent goes up and you can't justify. Um, it goes on to, you know, morally and your values and your ethics. Like, how can you charge six or $700 for a property that doesn't have, you know... Um, the amenities. If you wouldn't sleep in it, if you wouldn't put your dog in it, how do you expect other people to sleep in it? It's not. It's not okay. The, um, there needs to be regulations around boarding houses as well. Um, some of the boarding houses that we have in Dunedin are really inadequate. Um, I'm so pleased that a couple have closed down because there are two that we had lots of dealings with, and lots of our clients were forced to live there because there was no other opportunities for them. Of course, the boarding houses that have closed down would say, oh, these people will be totally homeless now. Yes, but the, um, quite often um, we have a lot of people that come to us as well that may have um, had some stub- substance issues that want to try to break away from that lifestyle, um, reaching out for help and support. They reach out to the agencies that should be providing that support and all they're offered is a boarding home. And in the boarding houses, um, there is other people that have, you know, there's violence, there is um, drugs and alcohol. They don't want to be around that anymore. So they actually choose to live on the streets because that's not what they want to, where they want to be anymore. Okay. How do you think boarding houses should be run? I think there needs to be, there needs to be a regulation. They, needs, they need to have the same... Um, um, healthy home standards is what landlords do. And how should they be? Should there be um, guidelines for, for management of boarding houses? Because often boarding houses, the, the manager lives in. And it's quite a bit of control over what happens in their house. Oh, oh definitely. There, oh, there definitely needs to be guidelines, absolutely. But Quite often as well, um, for me, it's the, there's a lot of neglect. The, some of the properties don't have locks on them. There's people that are put in there. Their belongings get stolen. They report it to management. Management don't do anything about it. Um, quite often, we some of the experiences that we had with supporting clients is that there was one situation, and this was probably a year ago, um, we had a client come in. We rung one of the boarding houses, supported them. They quoted us $70. Once they heard wins were going to pay, it went from $70 to $120, then to $150 a night. They then took the money, and two hours after that client presented, they they um, phoned the police and got them excluded, did not refund the money. And so some of those things, there does need to be some guidelines and regulations because it's not okay. It would be the federal government. The uh, national government would have to 
amend those rules, wouldn't it? God help us, that's all I say. <laughs> if we're relying on national to do I mean, it. It's, <laughs> I'm saying national government, I mean the in Wellington. Oh, sorry. We're in Beg electoral mode right now. <laughs> sorry, yes, yes, absolutely. What kind of has Presbyterian support and um, other agencies lobbied for specific rules? Not just for more housing, but for also um, rules for, for renting and rules for boarding houses. And um, We're certainly front and centre, and we certainly um, make sure that we have um, a representative on all of the, um, the, the hui's that are in Dunedin. I think there's about four or five that we're part of, and part of that is about... Um, creating more stock, making, um, and it's about conditions, and it is also about affordability. Um, so in regards to that, yes, we do put ourselves out there front and centre, along with other community groups, community organisations. Historically, state houses used to be, you paid a quarter of your income, no matter what your income was. Yeah. And you could stay there as long as you want, as long as you wanted, really. Yeah. So you know, the stability. Should they consider going back to that? I don't know. It's a difficult one because um, the difficulty the difficulty that um, we have at the moment is that so there's some people that might be in a four bedroom state house. Their family have moved out, and currently the legislation they you know they can't be forced to move to a, um, a smaller house so a family can have that home. So like, yeah, it's a difficult situation. Um, home for life. Um, I think everybody has the right to have a home for life, um, but it just it doesn't need to be managed. I think. In a, way, in, a prop, in a way where it's accessible. How much do people pay for state houses now? Um, yeah, my understanding that it is it is a percentage. Um, it is a percentage. Um, it's significantly lower than the market rental, and it's um, because of the situation that they're in. But it's incredibly hard to actually get yourself on that wait list. No. Um, okay. Yeah, it's done. It's done by a, um, a waiting system. A twenty is the top, and. I know a number of people that are sitting at A20 that are still on a wait list, still waiting for homes. So, um, do we have the capacity to build the homes? I, I really hope so. I really <laughs> okay. hope so. With, um, I'm aware of, uh, I can't go into so much, too much detail, but I am aware of some projects um, over the next five years. Um, you know, and it sounds exciting if they come off the ground, but it's just not quick enough. You know, we need them now. Um, yes. Okay, I'm going to play some more music. Yeah. Well, my father. Sure could use a little mercy now The fruits of his labor Falling right slowly on the ground His work is almost over Won't be long He won't be around I love my father 
He could use some mercy now And my brother He could use a little mercy now He's a stranger to freedom Shackled to fear and doubt The pain that he lives in It's almost more than living will allow I love my brother He could use some mercy now My church and my country They could use a little mercy now As they sink into a poison pit It's gonna take forever to climb out They carry the weight of the faithful Who follow them down I love my church and country They could use some mercy now Every living thing Could use a little mercy now Only the hand of grace Can end the race Towards another mushroom cloud There's people in power Who'll do anything To keep their crown I love life and life itself Could use some mercy now That was Mary Gunter, and we could do a little mercy now. What ethical obligations do we have toward each other and uh, 
And do we have an ethical obligation to provide shelter for all people who need it? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, I think I think it's, like I said before, it's a societal issue and I think it impacts everybody. Um, and it's a massive ethical issue when people are out there um, renting out substandard rooms that don't even have um, amenities in them and charging exorbitant amounts of money. Um, it's not okay. Everybody um, has a right to basic, um, a basic, their basic needs being met and having a roof over their head at an affordable cost. What does it do to our character who we ignore the needs of others? Um, I think it creates more of a divide. There's the haves and the have-nots, and there's a lot of people out there that just um, have never had to struggle, um, have have no idea um, what it is like to struggle. Some some people place a lot of judgment, and I just think it creates more of a divide in society and a lack of understanding. Um, does it make us hard to heart? Yeah, I think it. I think it does. Yes, I think. Mm. I mean, what kind of society are we creating if we know that we live in a society where people can't get homes, they can't, often can't get adequate food, mm. and we just live with it? It's very scary, isn't it? It's like you're walking around with your head in the sand. I never would have thought that the, you know, the country I grew up with um, has turned into a place like that where you walk down the street and there's people in doorways, there's people under bushes sleeping at the bus shelter. would not have thought that, um, that that would have happened so soon and that my kids are experiencing that and seeing that as well. It's really, really sad and um, it scares me as to um, where we're heading and how we get out of this. It really does. Do you think your children will want to do anything about this when they grow up? Oh, my children certainly do. My children um, are well aware of it, um, and they come and help. They volunteer at PSO. We talk about it all the time, um, the, the issues out there, and make them aware. And, again, they ask lots of questions, which I encourage, and we tell them honestly. Is that part of being a good parent, really? Oh, I believe so, yeah. I think it is about actually um, keeping it keeping it real with them and, and explaining Um about society and why some people um, some people are better off than others, and sometimes it's, no, it's nobody. It's no. But it's not really about personal choices. Absolutely not. No. I mean, we don't. People don't choose to be poor. People don't choose to be homeless. No, not at all. They're not necessarily in that situation because of past choice failures. Absolutely, and I think that's a big thing that people need to remember. Like you said before, a lot of these people have had really been successful. They've had really good jobs, for whatever reason or not. They've um, they lost their job. They've been down on their luck. Losing their job has had a ripple effect, meaning they can no longer afford um, the rental accommodation, the skyrocketing electricity prices, the cost of food. Um, it's it's just a domino effect, and everything impacts on on everything else. So they've gone from being successful, having a roof over their head, to all of a sudden. Um, losing everything and they have to start again they've hit rock bottom and they have to start again and it is incredibly difficult what would you like to see happen in Dunedin and New Zealand I would love um, for us to work ourselves out of a job for us not to have a job and for the 
for you know blue sky thinking for everybody to be able to have access to um, safe affordable um, accommodation where their, where their needs are met if it was possible mm-hmm. 30 40 years ago why shouldn't it be possible now yeah absolutely I don't, um, and I think we've got a long way to go um, and I think it does have to start at the top the government has to put legislation in place and unfortunately at the moment um, the things that need to happen take time but um, the people that are waiting don't have, don't always have that time there needs to be some urgent quick fixes but um, you think in the last 15 years we've actually improved the situation no, I don't think we do. I think in the last 15 years that we've sold, it's gone from change of governments, government sold off um, social housing to buy it back again, to sell it, and now we're in, the, we're in the position again of having to buy more housing stock. Do you think that we should have the institutions like government, like banks, like corporations, should they have the, Should there be a double standard? If you're working for an organization, is it all right to do anything to make a profit, or is it all right to do anything to keep the budget where you want it? Do we? Is there too much of a divide between what people say they they believe and what we actually do? Mm. Yeah, I think there probably is actually. There's a yeah, um, like I said before, there's a, a lot of hooey and not enough dewey, and people saying yes, I will do this. But when it comes to the crunch, usually the people that give are the people that usually can't afford it because they know what it's like to struggle, um, and the ones that can um, don't. In a way, should people with power and wealth? be more accountable for how to use that? Yeah, I'd like to say yes. <laughs> We're getting into um, difficult territory here, but um, yeah, I, I, d- I do believe there is um, there does need to be accountability, especially um, at the top as well, and the government, um, regardless of who, of, who, of what party is in power, it needs to start with there, and I think we talked about it before as well taxation I think is the way to go you're how do you fund yourselves our Presbyterian support yeah um, so um, we um, get some funding from our church from our rest homes we have small government contracts um, and grants and donations Is it enough? It's never enough, no. <laughs> Are all the helping organizations in about the same situation? Yep, absolutely. Um, we have a lot of programs that we run that we call they're unfunded, so we don't get any um, funding from the government and we have to apply for grants um, and donations to in order to be able to provide those, those services. And yep, there is other community organizations exactly the same as us. Do the larger community organizations like Presbyterian Support, like uh, the Salvation Army, like uh, Anglican Church, do they work together to try to get governments to um, 
change the situation? Um, I'm sure they do. It's probably the level above me, but level above me. But we do we do collaborate, and we do we don't work in silos. Um, we have really good connections with each other, and there are um, management groups and operational groups that our directors and CEOs are on, um, along with other CEOs from other NGOs, trying to create change. Do unions do anything with this? Um, we're certainly like not. You know. We're not involved with unions. Okay. Yeah. Do you think it'd be a better country if there were stronger unions and that more, more people have employment protection? Um, I don't know. I think I'm 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 very pro unions. I think unions are great. Um, yeah, don't know. I mean, it's all connected, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, you can't t- pull one thread and say we're going to work on one thread because. Once you pull one thread and thread something else, either yep. you're weaving together, yep, absolutely, or you're pulling threads. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's that domino effect, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think people understand enough about the economy? No, probably not. No, and I th- it's like you said before, the head in the sand. What you don't, um, you're. Um, if you've never been in that situation before, you'll live your life. Um, as you, and I'm not disrespecting people at all. Um, before I worked for Presbyterian Support Otago, I had no idea about the need that was out there either. Um, no idea. I, um, I, you know, had my own lifestyle, was working, and and it's not until actually you're actually working with it every day and creating that awareness um, that actually people that there needs to be more education and more awareness. I think we don't think. There's going to be any change. Things will just go carry on as before. But we're going to have change, aren't we? I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, there's no question about climate change, for instance, is going to change things. You probably have economic emergencies in the world because that's the way the economic system is. Mm. So... We need to think about what we want in the future and how to make that happen, don't we? Absolutely. Um, I am all for um, the environment and taking action now. Um, there, there, Like you said before, there is so much. You pull one piece of string and you un- unravel the whole ball <laughs> um, and it just opens up um, a whole lot of bigger issues. But you've got to start somewhere. How do you think, do you think people are thinking more about this? I have a feeling people are. Absolutely. Um, uh, Specifically over the last couple of months, it's been in the media, it's been the news, people are talking about it. Um, um, And there's a lot of people out there that are really trying to to come together and support the people that are less fortunate, that are down on their luck. Um, There's loads of Facebook groups that have... um, that have been set up um, providing there's bedding packages, there's people dropping off hot food, people in the community the community's stepping up and filling the gap Do you ever see a time when there won't be a need for food banks? Um, sadly um, at this stage I say no but um, I would love for there to be a time where that 
where food banks did not have to be. That's a choice, isn't it? The choice that the people that were power, whether not just governments, but banks and real estate agents and uh, supermarkets, Mm -hmm. uh, those are result of choices that people have made. It's a result of putting profit before everything else, isn't it? Absolutely. Should we cons- with climate change and with homelessness and with people not getting enough food, should we question what is the market for? And should we question um, what profitability is for and how that should be managed. Mm, absolutely. Um, I'm, at the moment, um, it makes me feel really sad, the profit that the supermarkets are bringing in. People can't go in. Like, you know, a block of cheese is 20 bucks for a block of cheese. For milk, it's even 5 or $6 for some milk. For essential costs, it's, people have gone back to having Coke on their cornflakes, you know, because it's cheaper to buy that sort of stuff. It's, it's not okay. The profit that um, that they're making, been putting putting before um, people's well-being. It's not, yeah, and and that's why I think the increase in demand, not only home, homelessness as well, on our food bank. Our food bank is supposed to be for emergency um, emergency food only, but unfortunately, there is a huge increase in demand out there, and just people not being able to make ends meet because of the high cost of living, the electricity bills, um, and they just don't have enough from week to week. They're in constant deficit. And the sad thing is um, we can't do anything about it. We can't um, magic up any more income for them. Um, we can provide help them with some food parcels here and there, but it doesn't change their situation ultimately. How does the power bill affect people. This is the name's one of the colder cities in New Zealand. Absolutely, and I think we also have quite a lot of cold homes as well, where there's not insulated. We have had people. The power bills have increased oh, hugely. We're seeing people that have got power bills between seven hundred and fifty to a thousand dollars that they're struggling to pay. They're getting. Um, 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 disconnection notices because they've missed uh, they've missed a couple of payments. It's phenomenal the amounts that people are paying for. I'm lucky. I've got an insulated home. I've got a warm home. But some people in there that have got a three bedroom home, um, they've either got a heat pump or a, and they've got a fireplace that doesn't work. They can't afford firewood. They can't afford to um, pay the power. So they stick an extra blanket. Um, know to warm the kids up but then it has an effect on the health the kids get sick the family gets sick because they're in a really really cold damp home and they don't have the means to pay for the power it all has that ripple effect that um, weaving or that thread that we're pulling (laughs) exactly exactly What do you, you and your fellow Presbyterian support people and other people talk about these issues? Oh. All the time, <laughs> yeah, all the time. Um, you know, and there's lots of opinions on what should happen, but ultimately um, we're in this job because we want to create some change. We want to um, support the people out there that are less fortunate than us and advocate for social change. 
Um, and it's like, a, I think, a basic human human right. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, water, uh, warmth, shelter. Everybody, everybody has a right to that. What do you think motivated you to be interested in these things and do something about it? Um, I mean, way back. Way back, yeah. Well, right from when I left school, um, I always thought I just I wanted to do something with people. I left school and started working as a... Um, I was a clothing machinist, first of all. Then I went to a, a, a working in a supermarket and thought, oh, I just needed to do something. So went to university and studied um, social work and just loved it. It was about the... Because it ultimately is about the people. Um, and I haven't turned back. I've had a lot of different roles um, um, as a social worker, but um, this is my favourite. I really okay. love the work that we do now. It's incredibly difficult, but I love... Um, being able to walk alongside people and our organisation as well is that we walk work with um, people from all work, walks of life, all ages as well. Anybody is welcome through our door. Do you think that your early work, non-professional work as a machinist and working as did that in some way prepare you for what you're doing now because you what you, you I, saw I, and how you lived yourself? Yeah, I think so. Um, for me. Um, I think having that having that break from school and getting it like in the real world and actually um, seeing what it was like and then going back to study again. I also travelled overseas and lived overseas for a little bit as well, so experienced some different cultures. Um, just made me um, more passionate, I suppose, about helping people and being one of those people to advocate for change. Well, thanks a lot for coming in. We really appreciate that and continue your work. And I hope sometime that. Things can that people in New Zealand have enough political and moral courage to to make things better. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.